Hello, and welcome to Moments with Michelle. This is a podcast where I talk to interesting people from around the world and ask them questions about their life, and we see where it takes us. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to your next edition of Moments with Michelle. And I took a bit of a pause, not by choice, but I was in Perth for Fringe World. I had a person booked, Bert. So, yeah. So my guest here um, is with me and we were doing a kid's show together in Perth and that's how we met. So your name is Frank. What's your last name, Frank? It's Hamster. Frank Hamster. And so my voice started to die in Perth. And so the morning I was supposed to take this podcast with Bert, I woke up and I had nothing. And I had one last show to do. So I had to call Bert and say, look, I'm sorry. I didn't even call him because I didn't want to talk. I typed to him, Bert, sorry, my voice is dead. And then the next day when he saw me for the last kids show I had, he's like, oh my God, your voice is definitely dead. So I wasn't making it up. But Frank is only here for one more evening. And I just saw his show called Cardinal Sins here at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And he was kind enough to come back with me walk home with me in this 30 degree heat to tape a podcast before he jets back to his across wife across the street racing course <laughs> you know that's under construction but yeah really. okay so perfect so Frank now we're gonna kind of let you be in the driver's seat here can you just talk a little bit about cardinal sins if you want to um, I know there's a bit of an embargo in Victoria so are you allowed to talk about the premise of the show here well I are that all depends on how many of your listeners are based in Melbourne and what sort of exposure it's going to get there but if it's under hmm, let's say if it's under 10,000 people I think we'll be pretty safe okay I think you're definitely safe I do have some people listen from Australia but I doubt we're anywhere close to the $10,000 yeah well I I don't think I'll be talking about anything that would prejudice any upcoming trials that may or may not be occurring in the near or immediate future so (laughs) I reckon we'll be fine But so like maybe we'll dial it back a little bit. So how I met Frank, he does a show as well, a kid's show during the day where he's Professor Flatulence from Oxford University. Well, well, no, I'm Professor Frank. I'm Professor Frank Hamster from Oxford University and I'm I'm a professor of flatulence. My apologies. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so it was such a joy to watch him because our kids show together was the first kids show I'd ever done and you went on first yep. and you have that awesome little fart maker. That little pooter tooter. Yeah, yeah. And you do the stretches and each yeah. time you stretched he would do a little fart he'd turn around and it was, oh do you have it with you? Uh, uh, well, not, well, not exactly have it with me but I'm always, you know, ready to... Um, I'm always ready to fuck, you know, especially for a podcast. Okay, good. He's digging through his bag right now, so I want the I want the ruffling to actually make it. But yeah, like I mean, what you're referring to is basically <laughs> something like that. So, um, you know, it's perfect for for podcasts and radio interviews, especially when you're talking about comedy and you know, if there's a universal joke, well, maybe there is one. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's the little device I had. And the kids just love it. They absolutely die for it because I have some nieces and even if I say the word but, they lose their mind. Mm -hmm. So I would just joke with them. I'd be like, but, 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 but. And my sister's like, oh man, do you have to do this with the nieces? But, 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 but. 
Yeah, I can. I get. I have to. <laughs> I have to. So yeah, so it's a great. It was great to watch you, and then um, that's when I found out that you were doing a night show that was Cardinal Sins. And do you want to explain at all the premise of the show? Well, uh, look, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, both Fart Lab and Cardinal Sins I do together uh, for very weird reasons and. The weird reason is this, all I've ever wanted to achieve from comedy is to bring some joy to the lives of children at the same time as bringing some joy and solace to the lives of adults that weren't allowed to be children because Cardinal Sins is all about clergy child abuse at the hands of the Catholic Church and it is a very difficult subject to broach, a very difficult subject to talk about normally, but like I said in the show, um, like Oscar Wilde said, if you want to tell people the truth, you have to make them laugh or they're going to want to kill you. Yes, exactly. And you have a very, I think, disarming kind of persona when you're on stage. You look like someone you'd want to give a hug to. Like You seem like someone very um, open and honest and genuine. So I think that kind of subject matter works very well that with someone with you. That is quite possibly the kindest thing I've ever heard said to me by another comedian, and I thank you. If I was able to make you feel that way, then mission accomplished. <laughs> because I do not want to make anyone feel comfortable. And one thing that critics always seem to say is that I show a consideration and a level of care towards my audience that they think is lacking in a lot of other comics. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other comedians in comics that say, oh, bloody hell, that was funny, laugh, you know, or they'll, they'll scream their punchlines or and just generally make people feel uncomfortable. That's something I don't ever want to do. I think we've got plenty of edgelords, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I, I think that that's probably one of the reasons why we get along, because the very last um, line of my flyer on the back uh, of a, the write-up of my show is, the main goal of her shows is to have fun, or the audience goes home feeling better than when they came, because I know what you mean. Like, I never want people to go home and think, wow, you know, I, I'm and all I do is feel terrible about that or I'm overweight and I can't believe that person made fun of me on stage for being overweight and I used to run a show in Toronto and after I'd left it I put it in the hands of other people and apparently an overweight person had come to the show mm -hmm. all six comedians drilled into them for being overweight they left early and never came back yeah, to one I'll, of the shows I have seen that occur uh, in, in venues in other cities that I won't mention because I don't want to single anyone out or anything like that or make them think that, you know, I think they're a bad person because I don't think anyone's a bad person deep down. But I have seen, you know, people get picked on, but, you know, it's you just, you just don't do that. You show care to your audience, you know. And, yeah. I mean... Um, oh my gosh, you're so great. And you shouldn't do that in front of the audience unless oh it's, uh, you know absolutely positively necessarily to get a laugh and I guess I mean one thing I would like to know is a little bit more about your story so how long ago did you start comedy and what were you doing as a as a job <laughs> now, this, beforehand this this is the hardest question I think I've ever had to how long ago did I start comedy well that depends on one of three things you, you can either ask me 
when did I first realise I wanted to be a comedian mm-hmm. from getting laughter out of people to when was the first time I actually said a joke into a microphone, into a live, to a live audience to when I said a joke and got paid for it. Mm. They are three different things and the time frame is enormous because <laughs> really uh, I like to think I've been a comedian since I was six mm. um, when I made my friend my only friend at the time at primary school, a guy called Daryl Torpy, who sort of spoke a bit funny and I looked a bit funny, so we, we became friends. And I made him laugh his strawberry milk through his nose yes. be, through doing a big fart and I thought, I want to do that every day (laughs) and of course I used humour as a defence for all the bullying I got for having uh, or coming from a weird family and having a weird family name uh, one that was different to everyone else's because I went to an Irish Catholic primary school where everyone else's names uh, either started with O apostrophe or just sounded like diggly dee potatoes and I um of course, used it as a defence against the Catholic priests and the brothers. Mm. Uh, so, and that morphed into me joining the military and being called upon as the repository of all the jokes. Well, when things got hard or arduous, it was always my job to create levity. Mm. So, it was I've always done comedy, but where I grew up, there was no opportunities to perform. There wasn't any raw comedy competitions. There were no such thing as open mics. And you had to know someone who knew someone in the scene to get a chance to do this. And I think that although I didn't get my first paid gig until I was 39 years old, um, I have been doing comedy for many, many, many years in different forms. And I mean... Some people have said to me, oh, yeah, you haven't paid your dues, Frank. Well, yeah, maybe I have, maybe I haven't, but I don't know too many comedians that have held a person's hand and told them jokes for six hours while they slowly bled to death in a foreign country, which I was called to do many, many years ago. So I think I've paid my dues. I think I've done what I have to do. And when I started comedy... I made a rule for myself, and that was simply this, that I would continue to do it until such day arrives as someone in the audience yells, get off, or you suck. And I haven't heard those two phrases yet. Um, If and when I do, (laughs) that might be the last gig I ever do, um, but it hasn't happened yet simply because I show care to my audience. But in saying that, I suck when I go to open mic rooms. God, do I suck hard. They're a different breed, that's for sure. Um, And I don't think I've ever gone to... Well, I used to run an open mic, and it was a five-hour open mic at the Ossington in Toronto. Oh, my God, five hours? Yeah. There was a... I think at one point, and I was getting up onto the stage or, like, to the microphone, like, I, like, slipped and, like, fell, and I was like, I'm good, I can keep going. But it was, like, four hours in. It was probably almost 2 o'clock in the morning. And they're, they're definitely... And I talk a bit about this in my show. You could have every 
type of person come up on stage. You could have actually someone who's going to be the next big thing starting out their career. Sure, sure. And then I say you could have someone racist, homophobic, sexist. They walk the entire audience or get elected president of the United States. <laughs> so that's what I say is one of my jokes in my routine. So, But I mean, I, I once got banned from an open mic room. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, thank God. And I won't mention it or where it is. But I was banned from this open mic room simply for putting out pieces of paper on the seats that had written on the top, open mic, bingo. And there were like five different categories on each piece of paper. And it might have said things like the rape joke, <laughs> the incest joke, <laughs> the drug joke, the pedophile joke, and the racist joke. Now, I can think of 30 more categories, but I'd have all them on the seats, all different, and a comedian would get up, and eventually through, by the second or third set, someone would yell out, Bingo! And, <laughs> and uh, I would pierce myself laughing, and no one would figure out why I'm laughing my ass off. Oh, man. Um, and they all thought, Oh, Frank, you're such an asshole. You <laughs> don't even care. You bloody... You're coming here with your stinking attitude and your bloody bingo and you don't take any of this seriously and, you know, we're all trying to bloody get an FM radio spot or a fucking Hollywood film role without putting in any effort and you just come in here and you fucked it up. So, you know, what can you do? Oh, man, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I, like, think about life before comedy and I was like, you know, I don't feel like I was stressed all that much my life wasn't nearly as as crazy as it has become but at the same time it's I mean I'm sure you felt this when you get off stage and you've had a really great connection yeah. with the audience and they love what you do and they talk about what you do or you get a message from somebody like Frank got a message that someone had left his show talked about the show to his cab driver oh, yeah. then they had such a good conversation about Frank's show and the cab driver hadn't even been to the show and the cab driver's like you know what that sounds like a great show glad you went to it and I'm not going to charge you the $30 for the ride yeah, and you that, got a free ride but that cab driver said I am a mad Christian I'm a mad Christian and if you've just told me about Frank's show that's all about the Catholic Church I think the Catholics have betrayed my God yeah. and that's why I refunded him the money right um, and I mean, it was really strange to receive that message, but that's that's the power of comedy, it and is. we're so privileged. This and this is what people do not understand: comedy is a privilege. And I'll give you an example. I was privileged yesterday to play golf at the Grange Golf Course, which is in the top ten golf courses in the country. The Australian Women Women's Opens played there. Um, the green fees for one round of golf were in the hundreds of dollars, but because me and another comedian did a show at a golf club, this guy said, well, I play golf every Monday with the pro Gary Simpson out of the Grange. Come along and we'll get you a free round of golf. Now, that is an absolute privilege. Yeah, oh, definitely. And it's because I'm sure you conducted yourself as a professional and you did a good show. And I think that it becomes a privilege when you're able to put your best foot forward and, and impress people. I think when you take it seriously, um, it has such strong power. Well, there's a comedian from Melbourne who's no longer with us called Dave Grant. And he always said that comedy is a serious business. Um, 
and I tend to agree. It's, it's very serious business, uh, and and you need to take it seriously. But in saying that, you've got to have fun too. Of course, you know, and, absolutely. And the end. I mean, okay, it is a business, and the business is this: it's a supply and demand. The demand is make me laugh, you dickhead. Okay? <laughs> we need to supply the energy that makes that laughter occur. When people are paying money and they don't get laughter, all you've done is rip them off. Right. Right? And that's all you're doing. Now, sometimes I actually feel that when I do fart lab, I'm ripping people off. Even though they're laughing their asses off, I'm basically playing recording after recording after recording of my own... And, and, you know, a few of those ones. And it, I feel like I'm, I'm a thief in the night. But that show was written out of spite when someone, uh, an open mic comedian, said to me that I'm the, the least talented and unfunniest person he's ever met. And I said, I bet you $1,000 that I could record my own farts, play them back to an audience for pay and tour the country with it. I'm still waiting for my grant, <laughs> which I'll never get because no, yeah, yeah. But anyway, but maybe it's good. You're like LeBron James when people piss him off, and then he just drains a buzzer beater three point shot to win the game. Like some people get really fired up. I know, I know, which is and that's good. and that's a motivator. I mean, yeah. there was another comedian said to me once, and I had to really think about what he was trying to say. He said, "Oh, Frank, you're the Barbara Streisand of Australian comedy." <laughs> And I, I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, Babs has got a reputation that if she's at a party or in a restaurant and you ask her to get up and sing, it sounds like cats trying to fuck, you know? It's just, it's horrific. But if people are paying her to sing, there's no greater singer in the world. And this guy said to me, your rule is no money, no funny. <laughs> and it's not money for me. It's just money on the door, right? Even if I'm in a room where I'm performing for free, if the punters have paid, what goes through my mind is if I don't make them laugh, they're getting ripped off. Mm. And I've never ripped off anyone in my life. Right. Dad always said, uh, you know, if you want people to respect you, don't steal and be honest. Yeah. Otherwise, they won't. Right. And so you mentioned your dad. What You grew up in a place called... Ballacrat? Ballacrat? Sorry, I was trying to remember. Ballacrap. Ballacrat? No, it's Ballarat, actually. Oh, ba- and, but Ballacrat, I think Ballacrat is better. Um, <laughs> if anyone out there in Victoria listens to this, write to the mayor of Ballarat and say, hey, Ballacrat would be a much more appropriate name for this city considering what it's now renowned for. Forget about the gold rush. Forget about Eureka Stockade. <laughs> forget about the birth of Australian democracy. It is now internationally recognised as ground zero of uh, the most notorious pedophile ring that has ever existed. And, I mean, that obviously is, is a bit to digest for our listeners because it's such... Um, <laughs> Got to break the ice somehow. You do, you do. But because I'd never heard of it as, as as this because I grew up so far away from Australia, but is this something kind of Australian known very much so now? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because of the Child Abuse Royal Commission and other things. And yeah. Because <laughs> you'd hear a bit about it, but you, but the, the it's not as fierce as like the Me Too movement has been huge, right? With, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like this hasn't been quite as strong, but I feel like it's... 
just as damaging, or if not worse. I mean, with the whole children, but maybe because the Catholic Church is, is so powerful with how it controls the media. I it is, it is, and um, they've they've worked hard to crush a lot of the survivors, and a lot of the survivors that have been like the regular faces on the media and all that. They they they've gone to ground because it, the pressure is just too much. Yeah. However, they didn't count on me mm. because. One of the things about my character is uh, pressure is what drives me. It's what drove me as a soldier, what drove me as a young man. And there's, there's two things about pressure. When you apply pressure to a human being, some fold, others focus. Mm. And I'm the latter. I yeah. always will be the latter. <laughs> um, I can't resist. That's just, okay. Uh, no worries at all. You're and, lucky I don't ask well, you to I pull think, my finger. So. Honestly, I think like Vladimir Putin's the same, actually. Obviously, you're two very different people. But someone said, I watched a lot of documentaries on him, like, when you back this man into a corner, watch out. Mm -hmm. And I think the aftermath of what's been happening uh, in the States for the past couple of years is just... Uh, proof that that is a very true statement. Well, I have to thank my father for that because I can remember, gee, a long time ago, I would have been 15 probably, and there, there was basically a three-year period where I would come home from school every single day, black and blue, and crying. Um, it was very hard for me to tell anyone what was going on or why I was crying and why I was black and blue. Um, I'd say to Dad, oh, the, the, the brothers or the priest gave me a hiding, so Dad would give me another one. But then one day, Dad got jack of this situation, and he said, listen, son, if you're backed into a corner, you come out fighting. Now, I actually took that a bit too literally, mm. and I went to a boxing gym, and I learned how to fight, and then the first person to bully me uh, got his jaw broken, and then I got even more trouble from the school, like, right. you know, and uh, it got to the point where the Catholic high school that I was at ended up expelling me after I um, beat up one of their prized footballers because mm. uh, football, Australian rules football was very big at my school and I can't play football. I'm actually kind of crap at most sports. <laughs> um, it wasn't my bag. But, yeah, comedy... And and my journey through it has has been incredible, but I, I actually didn't do an open mic night until I discharged from the army. So what type of army? Like, was it the? Do they have things called like the Marines and Air Force and Navy, or what is it broken? Well, out? we don't have Marines. Okay. Uh, we because our army does all the amphibious work. Anyway, so we just have an Army, a Navy, and Air Force, and okay. I was in the Army, and I started off in the infantry, uh, grunts, as they're known internationally, and then finished out my career, or the last eight years of it, as a signal man in Army Signals Corps, and I will not discuss anything that occurred in that place because it is all secret. Ooh, classified. I like it. Classified. And plus, it's, there is a law that protects me too. Mm. Um, they call it Section 60 of the Federal Crimes Act, and it basically says I can't reveal anything that occurred in the workplace. Right. So I can't tell you whether I had uh, Oreos or, or chocolate chip cookies at morning tea time. I literally can't tell you that. And that's designed to protect me. 
in case some smart-ass journalist wants to ask me something, I just quote that. Yeah. But, you know, that, that journey through the Army, I must say, when I was being discharged, going through that process, I kept thinking, what am I going to do? Mm. I'm not trying to do anything but kill people and blow stuff up. I, I can't do that in civilian life. I'm not a criminal, you know. Uh, and then I thought, well, what am I going to miss the most about this job? And I thought, it's going to be the laughter. I, I could tell jokes and stories in that military environment that if I was to do that in an office environment, I'd get assholed yes, straight away. Totally. Um, and then I thought, well, that only leaves comedy. <laughs> and I remember coming home to my then partner and saying, Susan, I'm going to be a comedian. And she said, oh, yeah, as if you couldn't do what those guys do on stage. And I said, well, watch me. And I actually did a, a bit of a routine in front of her uh, about my job at the time. And she um, she lost it and said, no, yeah, you've got to do this. I think you're funnier than, than what you know. And I, I still remember my very first open mic gig, I remember the date, which was the 2nd of December, 2011, not that long hey, ago. Hey, mine was September 30th, 2012. Wow. Okay. So if it happens for you, it happens quick. This mm. is one thing I've noticed. And um, I still remember the first joke I said, which was simply standing on the stage and saying, look, ladies and gentlemen, I have never, ever spoken into a microphone before. Well, actually, I did once, but I only said two words. Not guilty. And, <laughs> and people, like, they, yeah. they, they reacted to mm -hmm. that really well. And, of course, I thought, gee, this is a great bug to be bitten by. Um, well, I always felt bad that I, was, I learned, <clears throat> and you can share in this, is that I, I started comedy when I was 25. Obviously, you'd gone to the army and started later and I always was jealous with these people saying I've been doing comedy since I'm 16 and you're like oh so much practice there's so much farther along in developing jokes and, and structures and traveling and touring but the reality is you find it when you find it it comes to you when it comes to you and at least we had a little bit of life experience to mm -hmm. draw on yep. and I didn't fall into traps like doing a lot of heavy drinking, heavy drug use, and things like that that can sometimes push you off course. Well, the day you find your voice, like night and fucking day, isn't it? <laughs> it is. The day you find your voice, the day you find that thing mm -hmm. that makes you different from everyone else. And, I mean, that day, when I found that day, it was <laughs> that day, right? I mean, that, that's what made me different, is doing the farts. And then, of course, that led into what I'm doing with Cardinal Sins. And... The show that I did, uh, Perth and Adelaide, part two of a trilogy, you know, and this show, Pell in a Cell, uh, this is my Empire Strikes Back yes. of the trilogy, yes. right? It's, it's um, very different to the first. It's a lot funnier than the first. There's a lot more jokes. And, um, and the first one was about kind of what had happened to you as a kid. Yeah, it was about my personal journey. Yes. So, and the second part is obviously about... The, the people, the ringleaders of the, the the priests and whatnot. But then the third part, we you haven't written yet, right? The third part will be determined by the outcome of any court cases that may or may not be happening in the near to or not too distant future. So, um, yeah, that's that's yet to be decided. And I kind of like that it's like a, a trilogy with This Is the Empire Strikes Back because it's so... 
it's so powerful. And, and sitting there watching it today, I was so glad I watched it before we spoke because it's so educational. And I'm, I'm a sucker for nonfiction. I yeah, love reading yeah. autobiographies. I love watching history on Netflix. So listening to a blend of almost like a history lesson comedy show it's to my taste mm, mm. for sure. Mm. And I think a lot of people are looking for a bit of substance in their comedy and some people aren't. Some people are looking for a 10 PM Friday night. I want to hear the word cunt a lot. Oh, I want to be involved. There's something that's, that's another beautiful genre. So many of those shows out there and they're really, really good. Like you can't beat a really good showcase show of five, six high end top notch comedians doing Five to 15 minutes of their best material, they're great. Yeah, oh yeah. If you want to, you know, go home with really sore cheeks. Yes. But like, I don't read a lot of the reviews I get. I read the bad ones. <laughs> I love reading the bad ones because it makes me better. But there That's was true. one good one I read in Perth, and I think I said this during the show, where there was a phrase, I swear I want to get it tattooed across my face and it simply said, prepare to be intellectually challenged. If I'm challenging an audience's intellect through comedy, winning, yeah. right? Because, uh, you know, that's great. And I mean, tickets to my shows aren't cheap either. <laughs> you know, I don't... Uh, Give it away for free like some people. Ooh. I know. Well, no, no. You're not giving it away for free. Yeah. You are paying and building an audience. But, I mean, I just figured, well, if people want to hear me dish the dirt, mm-hmm. really, I'm going to make them pay for the privilege <laughs> because uh, I, I live like an absolute pauper most of the time. Me too. Yeah. Me too. So one of the things, too, I want to mention about Frank is Frank is a very helpful person and he told me the story because we became friends after doing the kids show that a girl had ended up in an airport. Something had happened with a flight where she was basically stranded, missed the flight or the flight had been canceled. She calls Frank. Frank is able to get her on the flight that she needed to be on. Is that correct? More or less. More or yeah, less. Okay. Yeah, it was just a rounding up of uh, a combination of some dollars and some frequent flyer points and, uh, and giving it to that particular person. But that I mean, aren't we all brothers and sisters in this thing? I hope like, I hope it to be. And I got to Adelaide, and the person that I had thought I was going to be able to stay with ended up not having a spare room for me. I, I sent Frank a message saying, hey, is there any kind of way I can stay with you tonight before my, my other places become available? And I didn't realize this, but he's like, yep, there's a spare bedroom. It's all made up for you. And Frank slept on the couch to give me the spare room that he had organized, which was so kind. And we sat and we talked to about two o'clock in the morning <laughs> that night. And that's when I was like, man, I should have been taping this for a podcast. So like, that's why I'm really glad oh, to yeah, revisit this. It was a funny this. conversation. It was. Only, only because we bitched and pissed and moaned about it. <laughs> you know, oh, wasn't that buddy's festival a bin fire? And fucking, oh, did you read that guy's review? Oh, 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 oh. Which, you know, a bit of Schadenfreude and all that sort of stuff going on, but but how you, know, you, you reached really... out to me, so I'm going to help you. Which I appreciate. And how one of the things I'm curious about is how did you know that you could make you know kids laugh as well as adults? Like, did you start first with the adult open mic scene before trying kids shows? Like, when did kids shows become part of the equation? Well, like I said, it was uh, uh, that show was written totally out of spot. Okay, but to do that kids show, the, the mindset I take is this. What were you like at six, Frankie boy? Mm. What were you like at seven? What were you like at eight, nine, ten, eleven? 
Peas and woos and farts. Peas and poos. Wees and poos and farts. Wees and poos and farts. That was my whole raison d'etre, right? Oh, wee, ha, ha, farts. Ha, ha, poo. Ha, ha, So, Fart Lab. And where did you debut Fart Lab? Oh, Fart Lab debuted the very first one at the 2015 Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Right. And I had the dumbest producer. I mean, this producer just insisted on me putting on a show for families at 8.30 p.m. Oh, no. And I argued and argued and I kept getting, shut up, Frank, I know what I'm doing. So I I went along with it. Audiences were extremely light and, and mostly adult and just thought I was a lunatic. Right. And rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, Squirrel Comedy reviewed the show and said a line in there that, 8.30 is normally a watershed time slot, but it ain't going to work for a family show. And I took that on board immediately and I spoke to the venue owner and I said, look, can I, is there a possibility of me shifting this show earlier? And he said, no problem. Against the producer's wishes, I moved it to 7pm and started to sell out. Right? And then when I did the Fart Lab 2, The Lingering, at the State Library of Victoria in 2016, Every single ticket had sold the day before I went to pick up the posters and flyers. So, Great. Um, That's the I haven't the dream. looked back. And, so, and the t- that, that brings up a good point that timing is everything. Mm. I, I really do notice a shift um, in the late night crowd, like levels of, of being drunk or this or that. And if you don't have a show suited for a late night crowd, it is going to crash and burn if you're doing it late at night, especially on the weekend. Mm. So you have, and that's from trial and error. Absolutely. And it's the same with Cardinal Sins. I've performed that at, uh, on, at late time slots. I've performed it at early time slots. The time slot I haven't done are the watershed ones, your 7.30, 8.30 time slots. Right. Um, because, of course, uh, competition for those time slots at festivals is fierce. It's very fierce. Um, and I don't have the star power or the money to warrant such a time slot. But, yeah, timing <laughs> is everything. And... Um, that's something that I'm learning, of course, and and you learn more and more every festival you do, and every festival I do, I get better and better, and it's amazing. I mean, Perth, the first time I did Cardinal Sins, it was nominated and shortlisted for Best Comedy. Then I do Cardinal Sins, Pell in a Cell, and the same thing happens again, second year in a row. You could have you could have knocked me over with a feather. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it, the response from audiences and critics. To both shows has just been amazing. Um, it's great when I walk down like the Rundle Mall and I hear, hey, mum, that's the fart man. <laughs> that makes me feel really good because then, like, little kids are excited and then adults are like, what the fuck is he talking about? Fart man, what the, what the hell is that, you know? Um, and, of course, people then part ways from me thinking that I've just floated a giant air biscuit <laughs> and there's a massive amount of stink around me mm. and it's great. But being able to fart, of course, on demand, that's that's a just, you know, that gets me through any airport security screening 
Like, you know, I can't wait to test the uh, TSA in the United States to see if I can get through simply by going... <laughs> and see if they um, go, oh, sir, just take the laptop out of your bag and get to the front of the queue. Uh-huh. Like, um, because that'd be, uh, that'd be wonderful. I'm going to test it. Well, the lineups for TSA can get quite long depending yeah. on where you fly into, yeah. so you'll have to keep me posted on and that. And if it backfires... I will be on the news anyway for getting arrested for flatulence, <laughs> right? Which, I mean, that'd be a first, wouldn't it? TSA well, puts a man off the flight for making a fart gag? Well, going viral uh, for any reason other than maybe some <laughs> horrific crimes usually is a good way to sell out some shows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No press is bad press. or no There publicity. is no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah. Absolutely not, you know, and that's, and that's true. Um, now, a lot of people think, because I, I get a lot of press because of the whole Catholic Church, Commission, all that stuff, and some of it I don't like doing, and believe it or not, and any comedians that know me listening to this are going to be going, oh, bullshit, Frank, bullshit, but I really am kind of publicity adverse, uh, but I do make myself very free to the press to talk about anything to do with Catholic Church child abuse simply because if we can stop it, we're going to have a pretty good society one day. Yeah. Probably free of drug use, probably free of further abuse and rapey stuff and, you know, yeah, all that sort of stuff. When we stop viewing other human beings as sex objects, when you stop viewing people as nothing more than a place to put your smelly penis... <laughs> We're going to have a really good world, right? Hashtag me too, have once on Lucy Kate. Should I go on? Yeah, right. right. And be wary of anyone that says, I'm the victim of a witch hunt. That is a red flag. Yes. Ladies yep. and gentlemen, there have been such famous people over the years that have term witch, that use the term witch hunt. Such people as Woody Allen, Louis C.K., Harvey Weinstein, George Pell. They've all used the term witch hunt. So, yeah, anyone that says that, you just go, nah, nah. Yeah, because my dad would always say things like, you know, he's not as afraid about privacy being breached that a lot of people are with, like, certain laws and stuff about how much they can search through your your internet history. So my dad's always like, oh, but I have nothing to hide, so I don't care. And I'm happy that my dad feels that way. I still think, you know, people should have a right to, to certain privacies, but I do... Um, understand that a lot of times if someone has been accused of something and they don't think that it's happened, um, there's been a few cases in Canada where it's just been one person and the person's just been like, you know, I think I'm going to be exonerated. I'm going to be fully cooperative. Let's get down to the bottom of this. I want to get down to the bottom of this. And it was kind of like a different reaction. It wasn't like this is a witch hunt. And it's because not everyone's perfect and not every allegation will be proven correct. Uh, but I, it was just someone that I thought, I don't, I don't know about that person's thing. And it was interesting to see the way that they responded to it. It was more like, let's be transparent. That's let's right. be, Look, do you know? An innocent person would never say, I'm the victim of a witch hunt. Yeah. An innocent person usually says, well, let justice run its course and let the chips fall where they may. Exactly. Right? That's what an innocent person would say. Isn't that right, Klaus von Bülow? Right? <laughs> it's, but true, it's, an innocent person never uses the term witch hunt. It's yeah. just, you know, plus when we, we stopped hunting witches a long time ago, you know? <laughs> plus, uh, 
you know, anyone that uses that term, I think, is a little bit sexist, just a little bit, doesn't like women very mm. much anyway. Mm. You'll never hear a woman use the term witch hunt, would you? Mm. But usually women don't go around raping people with their penis. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah. And I remember you saying before about how with the, the language that you use in your show, you have to kind of be very kind of like blunt about it, very uh, profane in a way, because it's a it's a tough subject, it's a hard subject to tackle, so you kind of have to just be in your face about it. Absolutely. Not Look, sugarcoat anything. I had three Catholic nuns come to the show last Saturday night. Oh, wow. And uh, my first reaction was, well, apart from saying hello, ladies, um, <laughs> I said, um, you do realise what this show's about? And like, oh, yes, that's why we're here. We think that certain cardinals have betrayed Christ. Mm, interesting. And I then said, well, you do realise also that I'll be using a lot of profanity. And they respond, oh, sorry, when I say they, their spokesperson responded with, we understand that, and even a certain cardinal that you're going to be mentioning has used the C word in front of us. So that's why they were there. And it was funny that they laughed the loudest and clapped the hardest at everything that I did. (laughs) Um, But you make a good point because I really feel like with that taxi driver is that most people that I have met and I have a lot of friends, parents, and I, I wouldn't say I'm religious in any way, but the people that I have that have been very kind and generous and nice people and always good to their, their children and always kind to us when we come over, they don't want priests molesting children at no, all. No. And they don't want there to be cover-ups and they don't because it devalues what they believe in and the higher power that they believe in. So it's really interesting that these nuns come being like, no, we think what these people have done is wrong. It's Absolutely. Not, they're not protecting Catholics. They're only protecting themselves. Exactly, because they have obviously read the Bible, right? And I don't remember anything in there about Jesus saying, you know, when he ascended into heaven on a ray of light, I think he said something along the lines of, build no edifices <laughs> in honor of me, Right? What he didn't say was, as he's ascending on the ray of light or whatever, ascending into heaven, he certainly didn't say, make sure you buy lots of real estate, build lots of churches and fuck heaps of kids, okay, bye. Yeah. He didn't do that, right? No. Build no edifices in honor of me, according to the scripture. But when I was growing up Catholic, we weren't allowed to read the Bible. So there you go, you know. It, 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 like a lot of the sermons we got were like Reverend Lovejoy out of The Simpsons, you know. Oh my it God. says in here that uh, women should not be allowed to lead any congregation in faith. Oh, where does it say that, Father? Somewhere towards the back. Right? <laughs> you know? Totally, totally Lovejoy-esque. Oh, know? my gosh. Because we weren't allowed to read that shit. Right. right? And then I find out that there are two versions of the Bible. There's the Catholic Bible and then there's everyone else's, right? There's books in, say, the New Living Version or the King James Bible or whatever other Christians read, books in there that don't exist in a Catholic Bible because they have positive messages. Like there's a book called The Song of Songs. Didn't know it existed until last year. I'm a pretty old guy. I've been around a while, but I'm always learning shit. Yeah, 
You know, and what I learn usually every day is the Catholic Church have come up with another lie, you know, mm. and and that's what they do. But I'm, I'm I'm just trying to make jokes out of it as much as I can, and that's what you do. That's that's and how you how you deal with uh, such dark subject matter. And do you think that it's helped you in your recovery? I mean, how have you felt? Oh hell yeah! Oh good! Oh my god, yes! And like. It, it, all of my uh, counsellors, psychiatrists all say, keep going with this because we've never seen you more mentally healthy ever. Mm. I used to be a complete basket case a few years ago. People thought I was nuts. People thought I was some sort of deluded man-child, you mm. know. Um, and doing these shows has both healed my heart, restored my faith in humanity, and restored my faith in my own ability to get laughter out of random strangers that don't know me from Adam. So, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Comedy is a very powerful source. <laughs> and how do you find, because I'm, I'm sure you probably know other people that are survivors of this and... I know many. Yeah, and do you find that there's kind of groups that you guys have joined together that also help provide? Um, not really, no. not really, and that's and that's a shame. There are some survivors that do run men's sheds, and and those guys are amazing for doing that, and I thank them for doing that because it's a hard effort. And then there's some people that are just so broken that they they still can't discuss it with anyone. But the ones that come and see Cardinal Sins, oh my God. They laugh and laugh and laugh. A lot of men don't get this show, but men that are the survivors of child sexual abuse and every single woman that comes to the show, they get it. Mm. They know what it's like to be victim blamed. Yeah. They know what it's like to be looked at as nothing more than a sex object. They know what it's like to be defiled. They know what it's like to be sexually assaulted and not be able to tell anyone about it because of the power structures that are set up. Yeah. They know. Yeah. So they really laugh at what I'm saying because I don't make a single joke about any victims. I go after the bumpers. I go after the perpetrators. I punch up, not down. Mm. Like, and a lot of comedians hate that expression, but it's true. And, I mean, there are certain scenes where if you don't punch down, you're considered shit. Um, and I just think that's weird. Uh, because all that is is winding people up. And winding people up is a piece of cake. You know, anyone can do that. That's not hard and it's not funny and it's not clever and it's, you know, people think it's edgy, but every open mic room's got an edge lord. Hmm. Well, do you, do you have, have you done the show and had any um, person come up to you and say, I've never, like, told anyone or I, I am a victim and hearing your story helps <laughs> me or? Plenty. Plenty. Uh, too many, actually. It's getting to the stage now. I'm starting to get sick of people coming up to me on the street saying, I was raped. I don't know what to do. Uh, or the other one, parents of little kids saying, my kid goes to Blah Primary School in Blah Suburb. It's 2017 and they're being raped by Blah Priest. What do I do? And it's usually migrant families because they're the ones they go after because you can't speak English very well. Mm. And then it falls upon me to take those people along to the Victoria Police Rape Squad and make the introductions and get the ball rolling. Um, and that I find a little bit of a struggle because all I want to do is comedy. I'm not a counsellor. Right. But if someone reaches out to me, what am I going to do? Say no? Yeah. 
What sort of asshole does that? Yeah. No, 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 no. I don't want to get involved. No, I will not be apathetic. I'll be forward, very forward. Uh, and I'll help people as much as I can, even if all I have to do is to bring a smile to their face, <laughs> and that's what I'll do. But, yeah. you know, you can't you can't say, oh, no, look, I'm too busy on this, on that. No, 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 no. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I had someone... And I'm sure some of your frustration is that it's still going on. Well, I mean, I had a dude approach me on the steps of the Melbourne Magistrates Court last July who said, oh, I have seen you on the television during the Royal Commission and you look like someone with a kind face and someone that's approachable. And I'm like, yes, what can I do for you? And they've said, well, you know, my child is... Their behaviour's gone off the rails and I think they're getting molested and, and I put them in touch with the right people. Right. But now, within entertainment, and I will never reveal uh, any specifics here for very obvious reasons, but I now have other entertainers approaching me saying, I was molested 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years ago and I've never dealt with it. Can you help me, Frank? Yes, I can. Absolutely, I can. And this goes for you out there in podcast land. <laughs> just, you know, really, if you've got a problem, message me, Frank Hamster Comedian on Facebook. Just send me a message, really, and I'll put you in touch with the right people. I don't judge. Yeah. It's not for me to judge. No. There's uh, um, people that wear horse hair wigs that do that, right? They're the people that do the judging in this country. Mm. Not God. Judges, right? And there's a few priests out there that are going to face some judges soon. And uh, who knows how they'll be judged? Because mm. uh, my own abuser, I had to go to court against him only two years ago. And he was judged. Oh, yeah. And they gave him 18 years imprisonment, even though he's 76 and blind. Because, you know, that's where pedophile rapist priests belong, penitentiaries. And hopefully one day I'll get to do a comedy show in there, um, which will be, you know, life has come full circle. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that you sing in, in your in your uh, routine as well, because it's nice to have that, that juxtaposition of different speaking styles. Well, I like to sing because I can't. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's always a good thing to, to rattle out a few tunes, um, bastardize a few well-known songs and fill them with either real testimony or just real feelings about real people. Yeah. And again, it turns dark subject matter into something that's genuinely funny, you know. Um, of course, I don't play an instrument. That would be too much for me to do. And I'm kind of a lazy guy. But, yeah, singing's cool. But yeah, no, Frank, I, we're approaching the 50-minute mark, so I do want to wrap up a little bit here. But I want just to thank you so much for, one, having a, a comedy show that has such um, such a hard and such a challenging topic to face, especially because um, in religion... A lot of people can think that you're trying to attack the religion, but you're so not. No. You're not at all in any way. You can be a Catholic person or a Christian and go to this show and not leave being like, oh, I just feel like I've been personally slammed. I do not. Absolutely not. Slag off religion. I would never slag off Christ or God mm -hmm. or Vishnu or yeah. Buddha or anyone like that. It's not for me to say, I don't know who what, when, how the universe was created. 
right? It's not for me to do. I'm not a cosmologist. I'm not a theologist. I'm a comedian. It's my job to <laughs> make people laugh and do a few, <laughs> few, you know, little things like that and get that out there and just continue the laughter and do it in such a way that people feel comfortable. But I don't bag people's faith. I go after the institutions that have betrayed the faithful. Yes. Because they're hurting, man. They're absolutely hurting. And and people don't understand that. And one day we'll be able, we'll be able to sit down and I'll be able to tell you how uh, the Catholic Church had corrupted the world through confession. Because <laughs> that's an interesting one. Tell them all your secrets, people, and you get blackmailed. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite interesting how uh, certain people have been drawn to professions to then use that power to take advantage or to further their own power. Well, and it, yeah. that happens in so many industries too. It's you know, easy. It's terrible. It's easy to go into a confessional and go, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been two weeks since my last confession. In the last two weeks, I raped 14 boys. And they'll go, I absolve you of your sins, say so 10 Our Fathers, 9 Hail Marys, and give me some money. <laughs> right? And then they go and do it again. But... Other Christians I know that aren't Catholic, they confess to each other, like husband and wives. And can you imagine a wife's not going to stay married for too long if her husband confesses to a, you know, bit of yeah. boy rape? Yeah. Ain't going to last. <laughs> no. He's going to be out the door and quite possibly report it to the cops. But Catholics will never, ever, ever, ever do that because of some stupid old law that, you know, they call a canon law, which is nothing more than like the bylaws of a bloody footy club. And, you know, basically the Catholic priesthood and the hierarchy, bishops and above, they can kiss my rotten ass. Mm. <laughs> well, gonna... not, not literally because it's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got... Oh, there we go. Oh. But yes, um, Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure and it, we need brave people and there's been a huge wave recently of brave oh, people. You're embarrassing me. Uh, no, but like coming forward, sharing their stories and people are finding now power in being together and, and these movements of knowing that other people have had these things happen to them and it's time for the people in power to be punished and to not keep benefiting and violating people because of where they are in society and I'm I'm very glad that the tides are changing and I just hope that you know one day this podcast will sound so dated because of how long it's been since these massive cover-ups have been happening well that that'd be a win but there's one thing on this podcast that is never going to date never do you know what that is You knew it. You knew it. I did knew. And on that wonderful note, guys, thank you so much for listening to another edition. And thank you for having me, Michelle. (laughs) Of Moments with Michelle with Frank here in Adelaide, South Australia. And I apologize for our severe flatulence. Adios. Bye.